I haven't preached the overflow in a long old time. I mean, it's probably been since at least February. Well, the title of my sermon is Why Jesus? And this is a sermon that came to me a while ago, and I'll be honest, I don't know how this is going to go. We'll see. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm going to be presenting some other religions to you, the thoughts of them, the kind of theology of them. Who knows anything about other religions out there? Anyone? A little bit? A little bit more of my vokes? Why don't I just shout more? Does that work? No. Use my teacher voice? I don't have one. I've got a dad voice. I can use that one. <laughs> you don't want my dad voice. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you'll all be in trouble. So, I'm going to be down here most of the time, I feel. I'm just going to take this thing down. Because <laughs> you guys are too far away from me. I don't like it. I know. So, I'm going to make sure it's as close to six feet as possible. <laughs> yeah. So, who knows a little bit about Buddhism? Anybody? Man. I guess God knows I need to preach this sermon then, huh? What about Hinduism? Anybody? You know something about Hinduism? You got many gods. Yep, polytheistic. It's a big word. Everyone say polytheistic. Poly means what, Stuart? Many. Theistic means what? The Theo means God. So if anyone's named Theo... They're just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but polytheistic, it means many gods, so monotheistic means what? Mono would be one. Theo is God. So it's one God. You get you know anything else about Hinduism? Or just there's a lot of gods? The God's name, some of them. So what you got? Kaya is the god of destruction. He would know that one. <laughs> Caitlin's the god of beauty, says Caitlin. The goddess of beauty. <laughs> anyway. No, I mean, you can if you want. Rama. God of archery. Ooh. So there's lots and lots of gods. To be more precise is precise as you can be with Hinduism, there's millions of them, millions of gods. In a lot of ways, it's almost like there's many, many religions that make up Hinduism. It's many different worshipings of different gods that form that religion. So some of them worship totally different god than another, but they're all Hindus. So it's kind of interesting. Um, Buddhism, I'll, I'll ask that one. Anyone, Buddhism, was there anyone that raised their hand for that one? I can't remember. Buddhism, a little bit. You know a little bit, you said? What do you got? Uh-huh. Buddha. Mm-hmm. Good example, live your life. You're supposed to put a coin... What? Underneath the Buddhas when you go to a Chinese restaurant? I don't even know what that's about. I mean, I'm sure it's true, but it's a practice. <laughs> Do you guys think Buddhism has a God? 
Anybody? We got a no over here. Anyone say yes? You say no? You don't know? You say no? Does anybody say yes? <laughs> it is a no. They essentially are all atheists. Yeah, I mean, they don't believe that there's a God. Um, there's no God at the core. No, that's Islam. <laughs> she always brings that one up. What about all them virgins? <laughs> there's, there's a belief that in Islam that if you live a righteous life as man, you're going to have like 72 virgins when you're in paradise or something like that. No, it's not what we believe. Sorry, Derek. <laughs> so Buddhism... Buddhism does believe that essentially it's you're finding truth. And it, the truth is inside yourself. It's, it's inside you. It's not from outside. And that you just got to go find it inside you. That's what the Buddha did. He, for 40 days, I think it was like 40-something days, he sat under this tree and had enlightenment of realization of what it is to get to where you're supposed to be, which is, they believe in reincarnation, and, and I, I'm not a perfectionist on other religions, go listen to Ravi Zacharias if you really want a lot of good stuff on it, <laughs> but um, they essentially believe that you're trying to remove suffering from your life, that's, that's the whole goal and mission, and how do you remove the suffering in your life, and I'll get into that in a little bit, but they don't believe in a God, um, which there, there's no explanation for the creation of the universe inside Buddhism, from what I understand. Um, so it's kind of interesting. What about Islam? Anybody know anything about Islam? Yes. We'll start with Anna. <laughs> what do you got? Mm-hmm. Nope. They don't believe he's the son of God, Jesus, but he's in the Quran, and he's actually labeled as a highly respected prophet. He's one of the prophets, and yes, that's the one with, with the virgins, yes. <laughs> what do you got? What do you want to share about it? What do you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Muhammad is considered the holy prophet that was bringing the final revealed word of God to man. He, he had to come along because mankind kept corrupting the word of God, is what they believe. And he was the one that finally, the final one that hasn't been corrupted. You know, and, you know, that's, that's a bold statement, right? <laughs> So they actually believe that the Torah, I think they call it the Twat, I think. I might be wrong on that. It was a long time ago I learned this in world religions in college. <laughs> but first five books of the Bible, who can name them? Anybody? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They actually believe those are inspired by God. That Moses was inspired by God to write those. They believe in the Psalms that those are inspired by God. They believe even in the Gospels that those were inspired by God, but they don't think there's any uncorrupted copies left on the planet. 
which I think is a little a little hard to say that God couldn't preserve his word in mankind to be completely corrupted by mankind. He's God for crying out loud. He could totally do that. But in a nutshell, for, for Muslims, they believe that if your good outweighs your bad, then you're good. You'll make it into paradise. You'll be fine. But if your bad outweighs your good, then you won't. Is that what the Bible says? <laughs> yes. They don't question it. They just, yeah, they just equate it to, and that's what God wants. So, he's God. He can do what he wants. Which, I don't know if, I don't know all the theology behind that, if they believe in the devil or anything. But, anyways, that's for another time. <laughs> but, Christianity, what, what can you guys tell me about Christianity? You guys are all Christians, right? Monotheistic, what do we believe? Give me the gospel. What is it? I'll wait for Gary to say it. <laughs> he gave his only son. Why did we need him to give his only son? So that none shall perish. Why were we going to perish? I'm, I'm acting like a teenager right now. Because <laughs> of Adam. He believed a lie. Okay. And is just believing the lie what the problem was? Uh huh. Okay. Inferior reality. Our God's the only one that's been raised from the dead. Do you guys believe that? That's kind of a pivotal point of Christianity, right? The only God. Right. The only God. That, well, that's what he said. The only God that's been raised from the dead. The only figure of the religion, of what you have to follow, who you are you know, following your beliefs after, being a disciple of. Because, I mean, really every religion has essentially rules to follow is what you're doing. You're following a certain standard, right? With, with Jesus, he just paid the price for us and empowers us to live it. So, Christianity is all about the realization that you can't really fix yourself. That's, that's the gist of it. Because all these other religions have this belief of, I mean, Islam is, if your good outweighs your bad, you'll be okay. You can get to heaven with your own works. You can get there yourself. Buddhism, you have to find it internally, the realization that nirvana, which is, the extinguishing of desire. You have to get rid of it. And you do it on your own. You just have to have, weirdly, a strong enough desire. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Hinduism is basically following these four, the four goals to obtain moksha, or it's a similar sense to nirvana, where you become one with the god. You're one with him. Um, if you guys have any questions on these, you can talk after. Sure, go ahead. Karma, that's that's actually, karma's followed both in 
Buddhism, and Hinduism. And Buddhism actually came out of Hinduism. Buddha was an actual person. Buddha means, it's the title that he gave himself, it means enlightened one. Um, and I, I can't remember the guy's name specifically, but he was, yeah, it's, it's Indian, and I'm too, too white, so. <laughs> but anyways, Hinduism, he, he didn't believe in the caste system that's there. He rejected it. He said, this is a problem, which I totally agree with him. It is a problem. But he rejected the caste system, system, which is interesting because he was at the high end of it. He was a prince, so he was at the top of the caste system. And then he rejected the holy books of Hinduism as well. And that's where he went on this journey, discovered the eightfold path of the, the noble eightfold path, to figure out how to become someone who is enlightened and reaches nirvana. The one with the third eye? I don't know. That's the Illuminati. <laughs> Jaggy's going to hate editing this sermon. <laughs> Love you, Jaggy. Hope you heard that. <laughs> but um, I got a quote from Ravi Zacharias. You can put up the first quote up there. Seth is not up there anymore. Alrighty. <laughs> he must have went to use that. You want to hop up there quick? <laughs> so, no other religion has that understanding, that realization of we're broken people. And there's no way to save us with ourselves. There's no way to bring about salvation by our own means. Pretty much every religion has this understanding that there, there is a path and a way. There's a certain amount of do's that you can do, a certain amount of structure in your life that you can have, and a certain amount of willpower in order to get to a point of salvation. But Christianity is unique in the sense that there's somebody that died for our sins to save us from our sins who was sinless. Let me say that again. There's somebody who died for your sins to save you from your sins who was sinless. That's Christianity. That's it in a nutshell. You can't do it. You needed somebody to do it for you. And he did it for you, which is awesome. <laughs> and I personally feel like that's the most freeing concept that there is. Like, really, think about it. You can't do it yourself. And you don't have to do it yourself. Because somebody did it for you. I mean, you follow him, and he's the author and perfecter of your faith. But think about it. How freeing is that, that salvation isn't dependent on you? <laughs> it's not up to you to get saved. It's Jesus saved you, and you just have to receive that gift and walk with it. And live it out. Like, he freed us. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. Think about it. That is so freeing that we don't have to figure it out. We don't have to. We don't have to do these works to save us. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul talks about it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not through works. And then James adds on to that to say, you know, you can't have no good works and have faith in God. It doesn't work. 
That's for another time. But this quote from Ravi Zacharias says, The biggest difference between Jesus Christ and ethical and moral teachers who have been deified by man, a.k.a. all other religions out there, <laughs> is that these moralists came to make bad people good. Really, that's what it's all about. You look at Hinduism, you look at Buddhism, you look at Islam, you look at, mind you, over 4,000 religions on the planet. It's estimated about 4,200 religions. They all are to make bad people good, but Jesus came to make dead people alive. The reality was we're dead without him. And he said it to Adam and Eve in, in the garden, that if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Life isn't the problem. Death is the problem. And there's, I'll get into that in a minute, where there's one of these religions that believes life is the issue. We've got to escape it. We've got to get out of it. We've got to remove ourselves from the cycle that karma puts on us. So you can probably guess which ones of those that is. <laughs> but like I said, there's 4,000... Estimated 4,200 religions. Christianity itself is said to have about, I think it's, it's two point something billion. It changes every year because there's a lot of people that are born every year. There's a lot of people that convert as well as leave the faith. But the, the last thing I saw was about 2.1 billion followers. Um, which I personally feel is a little bit high. <laughs> The true followers of Jesus, not people that just checkmark themselves as Christians on the census. <laughs> but in 2010, Christianity was, was at about 34% of the total population of the world. And then there's, there's different studies I saw that say it's, it's about the same or it's gone down several percentage. But there's other religions out there that are increasing. Islam is one of them. Islam is the fastest growing religion of today. There's part of the reason because they're all having babies real fast. <laughs> right, they have incentives over there. <laughs> hey, we got incentives too as believers in Christ. But there's other religions that are, that are, uh, that are growing faster than Christianity. But if, if our numbers are staying the same within the last 10 years, think about it. If within the last 10 years, our percentage of the world hasn't increased at all, like really, we're not growing the kingdom in our faith as far as new believers. Obviously, there's more people being born, and so the number of Christians is increasing. But the percentage should be growing, right? We should have a larger percentage, especially if, Christians are having babies, right? <laughs> Few of us here that have. <laughs> Interesting fact about millennials. Millennials are the m among the most likely to leave the church. You agree with that, Gary? Leave the church, yep. They've, they're not in the church today. Obviously, that's not you guys, because you're here, right? <laughs> Well, they're among the most likely to leave the church, and they often go in search of either another religion or they reject, reject religion altogether. 
Um, last, last study I saw said that there's about 26% of millennials are, consider themselves non-religious. They don't connect themselves to any religion at all, which, mind you, is a belief system and a faith in and of itself. They believe that there's nothing to believe in. <laughs> they often don't believe in God at all. The, the most recent study says that it's, it could be as much as 4 in 10 millennials don't believe in a God, consider themselves non-religious. That was the most recent study that I saw. Have you seen that number, Gary? Haven't seen that one? Yeah. But it's, it seems to be going up every single year. Which, I mean, I know for myself, being a young adult pastor, that concerns me. <laughs> as well as the fact that Gen Z is even more so. They say they're the most non-religious generation of all time. So it seems like every single generation more and more separates itself from, from a God. I'm not sure where all of you guys are at. I mean, I can guess in some of you where you're at as far as your faith goes. But there's a big understanding, too, that in the world today that there's many paths to get to God. Every religion is just a pathway there. I know that Oprah said back in the 80s, and she still believes this, that God's like at the top of a mountain, and every religion is a different pathway to get up there. which I'll pull up a quote here from C.S. Lewis. If that were true, then the words of Jesus, honestly, they meant nothing. Think about it. C.S. Lewis, it's the uh, one before that. Nope, not that one. I think it, it should be the second one. Yeah, there it is. Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. <laughs> I know Tim quoted C.S. Lewis on Sunday. I can't remember if this is the one he used. This is the one? I thought it was. But really, it's... What's that? Yeah, he, he said he's got to one-up me. Now i got to one-up him and use the same one. <laughs> but really, it's so true, guys. If, if really it was possible to get to God in multiple ways, then why did Jesus even do what he did? Like, honestly. What was the point of it? What was the point of him dying on the cross for us, for our sins, if there was another way to get rid of them? <laughs> there was another way to receive salvation and get to God. The things that Jesus said were so exclusive, Christianity has to be exclusive. And every religion believes that it's exclusive. It's, it's something that was derived probably by Oprah herself. <laughs> but in Western culture of this sense of, well, maybe it is multiple ways. Maybe every single pathway is really just the same destiny for all of us. Which I, it just logically doesn't make any sense. Entitlement. We're all good. We'll all get there eventually. Says the one that wants to get there. <laughs> right? Obviously, we all want to get there. 
But Christianity, if, if false, is of no importance. If it is true, it is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Let's take a little bit closer look at some other major religions out there. The, the main, there's often the main five religions are Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, and Islam. Those are usually the five that are labeled as the five big religions, which is interesting because Judaism, Judaism is, is below somebody that has more than them now. Atheism is actually third. It's the third most believed thing is that there isn't anything to believe in. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. There's another quote from Ravi. Actually, we'll wait on that one. But if you if you want more information on this stuff yourself, if you'd like to dig into this stuff yourself, as far as like Jesus compared to other religions, totally recommend Ravi. I'm hitting him hard since he passed. <laughs> but he he's got a book called Jesus Among Other Gods. And I read that one, and it really made a little bit more sense of our gospel compared to the message that these other religions say. What really does set Christianity apart from them? Why is it so unique? Why is it so different? Because there's a lot of people out there that say all religions are the same. Have you guys ever heard that before? Every religion is the same. A lot of atheists say it, right. Absolutely. They say they're all the same. And Ravi says they're totally not the same. He came from a nation of India the nation of India, where there's multiple religions, very, very prevalent there. In fact, the most percentage of Muslims on the planet are over there, in that area of the world. It's not even in the Middle East. Now, the largest percentage of the nation that believes is the Middle East. There's more people that believe in India, a different religion, but there's so many people in the world in that section of the world that Islam has got a lot of followers there. Buddhism obviously came out of Hinduism, which is over in India, so the three main world religions are highly prevalent over there. And he's like, no, they're not the same. And to say they're the same is completely ignorant of them. And he also says that every single one of them is exclusive. They believe that they are the answer. They're the solution. So, one of them has to be right, right? 4,200 religions out there. One of them's got it figured out. Which one is it? Christianity is what I believe. <laughs> so, Hinduism. Let's dive into some of the, the beliefs of them, and then let's see them through the lens of the gospel. Let's see them through even just the lens of, in my opinion, logic. <laughs> but Hinduism is obtaining these four goals. It's Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. And I'm probably totally butchering how you say them. <laughs> but Dharma is to be a moral or ethical person. And it's... That's, that's what it is. The first goal in life is to become a moral and ethical person. In my opinion of that is, how can you figure out what's morally and ethically right if you've got millions and millions of gods? <laughs> Which one of them is telling you? 
Is it just one or is it multiples? And if so, are they saying the same thing? There's a lot of division over in in India with inside Hinduism. There's even some that are still making child sacrifices. Like, think about that. I don't know about you, but I think most people on the planet would consider that not morally or ethically right. <laughs> Yet they do it. You can check the news. Go search for it. It's still happening. Where do these laws come from, though, as far as what's right and what's wrong? Hinduism has their holy books. I think they're called the... the starts with a V. It's like Veritas or something like that. But um, they're the holy books of Hinduism. It's actually the oldest religion that's still followed today. At least from my understanding. It's like, I think, 1500 B.C. is when it was established or something like that. I could be wrong. Don't go fact check me. <laughs> but like I said, there's places where child sacrifices are still done today. And there's also places where self-mutilization is done in the religion. You can go search for that on YouTube. It's super disturbing. They're like sticking fish hooks, multiple fish hooks in people's backs. And they say they're not feeling any pain, which if they're not, I wonder if it's even demonic. <laughs> What's happening? But they're like sticking rods through their mouth and stuff and through their tongue. I mean, there's piercings and then there's a whole nother level that they're doing. Either way, Dharma is the first goal. Moral, ethical person. It's what our mission is, which is kind of, like I said, you can find it in yourself. You can do the right thing, right? You can obtain that salvation yourself. The next one is Artha, or Arta, A-R-T-H-A. It says, it's a pursuit of wealth and prosperity. Well, that's appealing, right? <laughs> you want to pursue wealth and prosperity. But what is India known for? Poverty. They're known for the caste system. They're known for having locked-in places of you cannot become wealthy. You cannot grow in your prosperity. The whole caste system is basically you are where you are, and you're stuck there. The only way out is through a different reincarnation, which is, which is interesting because the whole idea of salvation is breaking reincarnation. You're not being revived anymore. You're not being reborn anymore. So it's like, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> but this is one of the goals. It's the second one after you become a moral and ethical person as well as you have to maintain a sense of wealth and prosperity by also keeping yourself morally and ethically okay. But you can reach your goal by sheer determination. All you need is to pursue it hard enough. The problem is once you get wealth, it's like, what now? <laughs> Where do I go from here? That's, there's plenty of people that once they reach their goal in life of big company or big-time celebrity, they go into a sense of depression because they're like, 
what do I do now? I'm, I'm still not happy. The Bible has plenty to say that wealth will not save you. Jesus said himself that it's harder for a rich person to enter heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's just pretty difficult. Have you ever tried it? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. I haven't ever tried that, but I can imagine it's pretty difficult. It doesn't really take someone who who has wealth to know that it doesn't do anything for you because, you, like I said, you can just really observe the people that do have it. And if they're completely happy all the time, then you know that it would solve their problems, but they're not. The wealth doesn't solve our problems. I'm not saying it's bad. Don't get me wrong. I'd like to have a little more money. <laughs> when Ecclesiastes... Verse, chapter 2, you can pull this up and do ESV translation if you're following along. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. Solomon had a thing or two to say about the pleasures of life and having wealth. And Does that solve your problems? Is that really going to make your life meaningful? Is it going to give it purpose? If that's a goal in your life. You got it up there, Seth? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. I'll start reading it here. It says, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and great evil. He had this realization of, if I'm working for just wealth and prosperity, when I die, like, did it really do me any good? I'm just leaving it for the benefit of somebody after me who didn't even work for it. He's talking about his kids. <laughs> Spoiling his children. But really, he's like, what's, what's the point of just working to have it gone one day? If that's really your goal in life, is just to obtain wealth and prosperity, then what's it all for? It's vanity. It's going to do you nothing because eventually you're going to leave it. You're not bringing it with you. <laughs> if, you if you thought you were, sorry for that hard truth. But comma is the next one, not karma. Gamma. Take the R out of karma, and that's the next goal. It's confusing, I know. <laughs> But it's to enjoy, is enjoyment from life or desire and pleasure. It's to just simply live life to the fullest. And I'm also talking sexually. I mean, it's super weird. You've seen The Office, that book in the beginning where they take it out from Hinduism. That's where it comes from. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Kama. Now I know what you're talking about. But they like that's really the emphasized part of it. Super gross. But it's also just just enjoyment in life and pleasure itself. Just that. The goal is to have that. It's to obtain it. It's to enjoy your life. There's a lot of people in India that really don't enjoy their life. 
Like we mentioned earlier, it's a highly poverty-stricken nation. Let's see what uh, Solomon has to say about this too. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 9 through 11 this time. So just a little bit of a backtrack from where we were. It says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Basically, Solomon's saying, I did it all. If I wanted to do it, I did it. It kept nothing from me. I had everything. It was worthless. It did nothing for me. So there's the other goal that he tried to seek after in life, and it didn't accomplish anything for him. He had this wisdom, this understanding, he says, that it was pointless in the end. It was just a striving after the wind. The last, the last goal it has is moksha, which is enlightenment or oneness with God. And it's achieved by overcoming ignorance and desires. I don't understand how you overcome ignorance. You just know everything, I guess. <laughs> but what's interesting is it's overcoming desires is being freed from death and rebirth into oneness with God. They believe that reincarnation is actually a, a curse. It's a cycle you need to break out of. Karma is a debt that you're given every single rebirth that you're having to pay off. Eventually, if you do the right things, if you're a moral and ethical person enough every single life, You'll pay off that debt eventually. Well, how do you know how much debt you've accumulated? <laughs> it's really hard to know. Nobody knows it. You can even ask them. They have no idea. But why is it that a goal to get to moksha, which is an extinguishing desire, is to indulge in your desires just before it? <laughs> like, think about it. Goal number three is to indulge in all of your pleasures, all of your desires, all that you want. And then immediately after that, it's to get rid of all your desires. How do you do that? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> to reach your desire, you need to get rid of your desire. Which is also a par paradox in and of itself, that if your desire is to extinguish your desires, what do you do when you reach your desire? <laughs> when you've gotten your desire, have you really extinguished your desire? Because you've obtained it. <laughs> Mind-blowing stuff, right? Inception. <laughs> That'll puzzle you for a while. But there's millions and millions of people that are believe this. They have this belief about them. The, the mission to remove desire in, is in itself a contradiction. <laughs> The desire is to not will 
or not be. And I'll tell you, it's no surprise that the devil wants that. He wants you to not be. He wants you to not exist. And there are millions of people that are caught up in this deception. Think about it. <laughs> of course that's a religion out there. Because <laughs> to extinguish your desire means to extinguish what you were meant to desire in the beginning, which is God. That's what we were created, desire for God. Desire after him, desire for him. And there's a Calvinist out there that wrote a book, Desiring God. <laughs> I'm not Calvinist, don't worry. <laughs> the next one, Buddhism. At its essence, is all about extinguishing desire even more so than Hinduism. That's the whole main focus of it, purpose of it. Life equals suffering. Suffering comes from your desire, so you need to extinguish your desire to remove suffering. That's the whole goal of it. That's the whole mission. Get rid of your desire, because desire is the problem. It's a self-empowering religion. It's finding it inside yourself. Which obviously that sounds appealing, right? There's a lot of people that are like, oh, I can just find this myself. Plenty of self-help books that are written every single year. <laughs> right? And the whole religion is self-help. But it makes you feel accomplished. about the answers being inside you. You just got to find them. You just need to get to them. Religion has no deity, like I said before. There's no God in Buddhism. And Buddha himself was an actual person. Which I think is interesting because he lived around the time of like 560 BC. How many people lived before that point? And it took up until that point for finally somebody to be enlightened, to figure out the answers in life. <laughs> There were millions of people born before him on the planet. And it took that long for somebody to finally figure life out. I think it's kind of interesting. But he, he himself was called Buddha, the enlightened one, because he achieved nirvana. And these are the, the things as far as Buddhism is associated with the four noble truths, which are... I think it's pronounced dukkha, which means life is suffering, like I said. Samudaya, which is that suffering originates from desire. Naroda is to stop the suffering to reach nirvana, which means you get rid of your desires. And then mata is to follow the eightfold pathway, which is there's eightfold pathway, which is right living. I don't know all of them. <laughs> I can't spout them off the top of my head. You could search it. Just Google the Eightfold Noble Pathway of Buddhism. You've got right living. You've got right knowing, right livelihood. Um, you've got right uh, understanding, I think, is another one. So there's, it's living right, figuring out the right way to live. And... You find that inwardly. He got this revelation by sitting under a tree for 40 days. <laughs> he was able to discover the answer to life and rightness and how to live by just sitting still for long enough and meditate. 
So I question whether there was him talking to himself or something else. <laughs> but that's the essence of, of Buddhism, is extinguishing your desires. And the way you do that is by living rightly. Nirvana means not willing or not wanting or not being. Similar sense to Hinduism. They, they kind of have a similar goal and mission. They're not the same, though. We were made to desire after God. Adam and Eve, that's what they were made. They had this desire in themselves for God, and then when they chose to desire something else is when things were broken. And really, desire isn't the problem. What you desire is not the issue. I mean, desire itself isn't the issue. It's what you desire that's the, the issue. Let's take a look at some scripture on this. Romans 8, verse 5. You can pull up that, Seth. Romans 8, 5. But our desire was always meant to be for God, and we were made in the image of God, so it's no surprise that the devil wants to get rid of this, right? I want to get rid of your desires. Because your important desire, the one desire all of us should have, is for God himself. And he doesn't want us to desire God, because he hates him. And so he's trying to remove that from us. Well, Romans 8.5 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The, I think, NIV, you can switch it quick, NIV uses the word desire. Desire isn't bad. It's just whether or not it's a fleshly desire or a spiritual desire. Is it a desire of God? Is it a desire of the Spirit? Or is it a desire of sin? Sinful desires. Sin nature. Desire of the flesh. I die daily, is what Paul says. We crucify those things with Christ. So it says... In this translation, set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So, again, desire is not the problem. Next verse I have is Galatians 5, verse 24, which says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The problem with desire is, is it of the flesh? And that's where we need the Spirit of God to guide us, right? That's why we need the Word of God to guide us. If you don't know what sinful desires are, they're, they're in the Bible. <laughs> you can find them pretty easily in there. Go read Galatians 5. It's pretty much spelled out. But again, like I said, desire is not the problem. The problem is evil desires, sinful desires. God himself has desires. Did you guys know that? Yeah. What are some of his desires? Any of you know? Everyone would come to him. Yep. You can pull that one up, Seth. First Timothy two, four through six. That everyone would come to the knowledge of Jesus. Everyone would come to the knowledge of the truth. That's a desire of God. So I think we should have that desire too, right? But think about it, if if the perfect being of the entire universe, the one who made everything, who's perfect, nothing wrong with him, 
He is perfection. And desire was the problem? How does that work? <laughs> if he has desires himself, how can he have desire if desire is wrong? The whole mission is to extinguish desires. How, how come God has them? For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ being. Did I do the wrong one? <laughs> no, I think I did it. Is that 2, 4 through 6, 1 Timothy? I'll just read here. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? It might be... Second Timothy it says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time, who desires all people to be saved, to come to truth. The next one I have is James 1 verse 20, if it's the right reference. <laughs> it says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So God desires righteousness, right? God has desires, so desire is not the problem. Maybe this is all just ammunition for if you talk to somebody who's a Buddhist. <laughs> you can talk to them. I mean, bridge the gospel to them. Both Hinduism and Buddhism believe that we need to escape life. Reincarnation and rebirth are seen as a curse. You could say they believe life itself is to be a curse and we need to get out of it. That also makes sense in the light of the devil's mission. If you think about it, right? This lie and deception of life's the problem. You need to get out of it. He would sure appreciate everyone extinguishing their life, right? And they believe that, I mean, when you die, you're just going to come back. But if that's a lie, then there's a problem. <laughs> life isn't the curse, though. or it, Life itself is not the curse. Death is, right? In Genesis, Adam and Eve, God said, don't do this or you will die brought about the curse of death. So life is not the problem. It's death of life. Life is what God gave us originally. And we're the ones that brought about death on this planet. Let's get to the next one, the last one. Islam. Five pillars of faith. Does anybody know them? You know of them? I'm not looking for the specific name for them because ain't no way I'm saying those. <laughs> what do you got? Five time daily prayer, yep. Pray five times a day. You searching it? <laughs> yep, charity. That's another one. Nicely done. Any others? Three more. Pilgrimage to Mecca. Yep. 
You got to go there at least once in your life. So if you're too poor to get there and you live on the other side of the world, if you're a paraplegic, ain't no way to walk there. Nobody's going to carry you. Sorry. <laughs> any others? Do you know any of them? You forgot them. It's been a while. Fasting. Ramadan, I think is what it's called, right? Fasting. Mm-hmm. Ramadan, which, mind you, they, it, it's not the same time on the Gregorian calendar every year. So it can land in winter, and you only fast during daylight. <laughs> so in, in winter, it's actually easier. In summer, days are longer, and you've got to wait longer until you can eat. <laughs> you've got to wait until the sun goes down. <laughs> And they feast, they have a party once the sun goes down pretty much every single night from what I understand. They eat what? They get up, yeah, they get up at 3 a.m. They're still eating three times a day. They're just living on a night shift schedule. <laughs> like really, so are they really even fasting? <laughs> if they get up at 3 a.m. and they eat after the sun goes down, and they probably try to eat before the sun gets up too. <laughs> At least the teenagers probably do. <laughs> yeah, they're totally eating three times a day. When the sun goes down, when the sun's coming up, and in the middle of it. So I don't really think that's even fasting, according to fasting meaning. Right, <laughs> exactly. The whole term of breakfast is you're breaking your fast of the whole night. In the Bible. Really? Hey. <laughs> so, one big one. You guys didn't say this one. You guys know what it is? Because those, those are all the do's, the things you have to do. But, no, 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 not, well, kind of. We basically, in a lot of ways, we have it as one of our Ten Commandments. They just add a little bit onto it. There is no God but Allah. Allah itself is just the Arabic word for God. I don't know if you guys knew that. So if you go read an Arabic Bible, Allah is in it. Do you speak Arabic? <laughs> then no. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the other one. There is no God but God. There's no Allah, but Allah. And they add one more part to it, so it's almost a Ten Commandments, but then they change it. And it's all about the prophet. Muhammad is his holy prophet. Muhammad is the holy prophet. So they're not professing Jesus, they're professing him. You know, He's the one that gave us the real truth. No, he's not the Christ. There's nobody that died for the sins. It's, you do, do the right things, you do all the right stuff, you do these five pillars, you'll be good. Mm-hmm. It's all about your good outweighing your bad. And obviously this is a complete deception in light of Christianity, because we're all broken. None of us are good enough. 
your good works are like filthy rags. Use tampons. That's what that translates as. <laughs> Super gross. And I always get cringing looks from my youth whenever I mention it to them. <laughs> it's, I love saying it. <laughs> really, that's what it equates to. Any of you want some used tampons? <laughs> Didn't think so. Neither does God. So stop trying to give them to them. <laughs> but that's what they're doing. It's this deception that all you need to do is do good enough. You can get there. But how do you know what's really, really, really bad and what's really, really, really good and, and that you're doing good enough? Only God knows. And there's some that even say in Islam that God's having a bad day and you make it up there. You can be like, nah, I don't feel like it today. <laughs> and you're gone. It's my will. <laughs> Super messed up, right? So you could do all the right things. And if you just meet him on a bad day, sorry. Because <laughs> apparently God has bad days. He's outside of time. So he really doesn't have days at all, right? <laughs> But the interesting thing is that they believe in a lot of the Bible. Like that it, it literally says in the Quran that the first five books of the Bible, it, they use the word for it, I think it's the Torah, that those are inspired by God to Moses, and then they got corrupted. It doesn't say that in the Quran, though, from what I understand. It's what they now believe. Well, those are all corrupted. They believe, too, a psalm, which you can pull this one up, Seth. Psalm 14, 2 through 3. Hopefully it's the right reference. <laughs> well, psalm 14, 2 through 3, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if, they are any who un- if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. They believe that David wrote the psalms, that they were inspired by God, they're his word, and then they got corrupted. But if you look, this exact quote and reference is in Romans, which they also believe, well, they, they believe in the Gospels, which Jesus gave Paul what he wrote, right? So it's like, how, how is it that there is just corruption and that this is corrupted, but it still existed later in the same language, same word? It was quoted Word for word by Paul. So they, they believe this, that it's all corrupted by God, and that if you're good enough, you can enter heaven. But by this conclusion of David, it's not, right? It's not a matter of just doing enough. Because it's not going to work. And if that's the fastest growing religion, I mean, I'm deeply concerned and grieved for people on this planet that they believe that. And yes, it's the fastest growing religion for like people for people. It is the fastest growing religion. It's predicted, I think, by 2045 or something like that, that it's going to outnumber Christianity. Which is interesting, huh? Jesus could come back before then, totally. Especially with the way that the world's going right now. 
But why does Christianity have to be exclusive? Why Jesus? Why is it that Jesus makes the difference? You got it, Gary? Because, like Gary said, he's the only one that's not in the tomb. <laughs> like, really, he died for your sins. He's the only one that died for people as well, for their sins, as the figure of the belief, and is still alive. He paid the price for us. And all the religions believe that there's no price to be paid. You just have to outweigh it. At the heart of Christianity is Jesus, right? Who did everything for everyone. And he himself said at the end of his life, if there's any other way to bring about reconciliation, if there's any other way to save humanity, God, do it. There's any other way than me going to the cross. This is what he said as he was in the garden and he was about to be crucified. Roman soldiers were going to come grab him and G- Judas was going to betray him. And Jesus himself said, if there's any other possible way to save man, do it that way, please. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want to do this. But he said, not my will, it's yours. He went to the cross because there wasn't another way. And if, God was, if Jesus was perfect, if he was completely perfect, I think we can take his word for it, right? That there was no other way but him. Honestly, Jesus has to be the only way or we're all crazy. <laughs> like, really, think about it. Paul even talks about this. Pull up this scripture, Seth. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthian church. And he's actually talking about the resurrection of the dead because they're believing, oh, no, 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 there's no resurrection of the dead because the body is a problem. It's, we need to not have our bodies. That's, bodies are sinful in and of themselves, which doesn't really make sense if Jesus had a body, right? <laughs> What is Gnosticism, I think is what it's called. It says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I read this for the first time when I was a teenager, and I'm like, it hit me. I'm like, oh, it's totally true. I live in a Christian home. If I've been doing this my whole life, and it's, there's really no end to this, the end is just nothing? If there's no life after this with Jesus, only now? What am I wasting my time living for God for? <laughs> but that's the thing. It's true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way. <laughs> Let me paraphrase this. If a life for Jesus now doesn't lead to a life with Jesus later, what's the point of all this? <laughs> if he died for us to be with him for all eternity, and we're not going to be with him for all eternity by him dying for us, then why are we wasting our time living for him? We would be most to be pitied. But let me tell you, we're not. <laughs> we're not going to be pitied. 
we're not going to be seen as those who had it wrong. I believe that. What's the point in Jesus dying for us to live for him forever if it was never going to happen? I might as well do whatever I want, right? And these other other religions, if if they're all multiple ways of getting to God, then why did he need to die? Why didn't he need to give up his life? Why did he need to sacrifice himself? He had that same, in a way, in, in my opinion, that, that's kind of how I interpret that interaction with God at the end in the garden. If there's another way, then let's let's go with that one. <laughs> But there's not. There's another quote from Ravi Zacharias. You can pull up the, do the, I think it's the second one. Only through repentance and faith in Christ can anyone be saved. No religious activity will be sufficient. Only true faith in Jesus. And then pull up the next one. True faith in Jesus alone. Now this is something to really encourage us. My my goal tonight is why Jesus? Do do you believe this to be the way? And if you do, there are plenty of people out there that need the way. And if you don't know how to have conversations with him, you got to share your faith. <laughs> I know for myself. Maybe me sharing these other things of these other religions that can help you dig into the Bible, see the truth that they need to hear and bridge the gospel to them. Because if you tell a Buddhist or a Hindu, you'll have eternal life. They're like, that's the problem. <laughs> eternal life is the issue. I don't want eternal life. I'm in eternity right now, and I'm trying to get out of it. It's understanding what they need to hear, bridging the gospel to them. Paul did this. You can go read it for yourself in Corinthians, or not Corinthians, in, a, in the book of Acts, chapter 17. He goes into Athens, and he's walking through Athens, and he sees all these idols everywhere. And he's troubled in his spirit, it says. He sees a problem. They're all deceived here. <laughs> I feel like it would be a similar sense walking through India today. Because it was quoted by somebody, I can't remember the name, it was somebody during that time, and said that you walk through Athens, and you'll see more gods than people. That's how many gods there were. Rabbi Zacharias says, outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. In this world, that cross and resurrection at the core of the gospel is the only hope for humanity. Wherever you go, ask God for wisdom and how to get that gospel in. Have you guys done that? Even in the toughest situations of life. There's a situation going on in Minneapolis, and I'm not going to really hit hard on this one. I don't know, who here knows about it? Anybody? Guys, that's where I'm from. It hits me hard when I think about it. I know people there <laughs> that are affected by this. Caitlin had to convict me <laughs> of, you need to look into this. You need to talk to the people there. And I was just like oblivious to it. Like, no, I've got my life here. But no, there's people that are hurting. There's somebody that we know personally who, they have a daughter who's, her name's Lily, and she, Lily, right? Like Lily. 
Samuel and Solomon and uh, Rebecca? Is it Lily? Liliana? Starts with an L. Lydia, that's what it is. Their daughter there, they, they live a mile and a half from the auto store that was burned down. I mean, she was, like, terrified. Is it going to get any closer? <laughs> is this riot going to move its way here? I mean, it, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in this world. And the whole reasoning why this happened is understandable, right? Why they would be acting this way. But like, there's just a lot of anger, a lot of pain on both sides. And it's sad to just see all of this unfolding. But even in the toughest situations of life, some of these toughest situations of life for you is talking to somebody who's an atheist, and you're like, I don't know what to say to them. <laughs> they might be talking to somebody who's a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Muslim. There's quite a few people that go to tech that are Muslim, right? From what I understand, there's, there's a decent amount of them here. Do you know anything about it? What's that? Yeah, they, they got a mosque there, yeah. The Islamic place of worship. They have one just right down the street from the campus. I think it's like the first building before you hit the gate, right? The very first building. It's even closer than a church. <laughs> Wherever you go, ask God for wisdom and how to get the gospel in. This is something I loved about Ravi Zacharias when he lived. He, he didn't like having written questions. He wanted people with a mic to talk to him so that he could be personal with them, talk directly to them, hear their emotion in what they're saying. Because nearly every single person that came to those mics, their questions for him were rooted in emotion, whether it be anger, whether it be sadness, whether it be you name it. But he wanted to bridge the gospel to every single person, hear the voice of God and say, Lord, what do they need to hear? What is the truth that they need to hear that's going to be the breaking point for them? Or at least start the process. <laughs> so my question for you is, why Jesus? If you believe in him, why? Have you ever asked yourself, why do I believe in Jesus and not these, one of these 4,000 other ones? <laughs> because there's a lot of them out there. And you're going to have opportunities to share your faith. At least I hope you do. <laughs> I hope we're not in isolation forever, right, Gary? <laughs> so I'm going to pray. And then we're going to do a little fire pit. And you guys want to get in discussion and have questions and stuff. We'll do it outside. But really, why Jesus? Have you asked yourself that? Because other people ask it. Other people have that question. And know how to answer it. Know how to answer those questions that these other people have. We're really going to be pushing hard evangelism. We want people to know Jesus here. And it's something that God really impacted me with this year. Of, Do you really share your faith like you should? <laughs> or do you keep it to yourself? Because we're not supposed to. It's all over the Bible. 
So let's pray. God, I pray that you would guide us in our conversations with people, that you bring across our path, God. And we pray that you would give us that wisdom, give us that understanding, help us to, wherever we go, know how to get that gospel in, how to get that wisdom that they need to hear. Lord, I pray that you would prepare the way for us, ahead of us. God, I pray that we would really choose to get to know the word. <laughs> that we would choose to know what it is we believe. There's so many people on this, in this country that say they're believers in Christ, they're Christians, and they have no idea what the Bible even says. God, I pray that would, that would not be us. That we would be people that know the truth, that we understand the truth, and that we live the truth. We would be lights in the darkness. And it wouldn't be for ourselves. It wouldn't be for our own glory. It would be for your glory, God. Lord, I pray that you would protect everybody here in the conversations they have. That you would bless them, which means that you give them favor and protection on the way that they go. God, give them the favor with the people that they've been sharing their faith with for years. I pray that there would be an epiphany of those, that they have a sudden realization of, this is, I finally get it now. God, we thank you for what you did for us, sending your son, that it is so unique from any other religion out there, that you are the difference compared to the rest of the world. May we believe that. Keep us in the faith, God. In Jesus' name, amen.